Welcome to Valley 101, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com, where we answer the questions you ask about Metro Phoenix. I'm your host, Kayla White. Remember our previous episodes we did on the five C's of Arizona? What are the five C's of Arizona? It's copper and cattle, citrus, climate, and cotton. If you haven't had a chance to listen to those yet, you can scroll through your feed and find them. In those episodes, Maritza Dominguez and Katie O'Connell tackled the history of two of the five C's, citrus and cotton. After those episodes ran, we got a lot of requests to cover the other three C's, copper, cattle, and climate. So that's what we're doing today, wrapping it all up. Welcome to a lightning round episode on the five C's of Arizona. Maritza, you're up first. Copper production was a big enough industry to be included in the five C's. But when did it first take off in Arizona? And so copper production uh, starts uh, in the 1870s, then in the 1880s, in the 1890s. By the early 20th century, it's in multiple uh, locations throughout the state. It is a um, huge uh, developer of revenue. It employs uh, tremendous amounts of labor. This is Philip Vandermeer, a retired professor from Arizona State University and an Arizona historian. You might remember him from our previous episodes about cotton and citrus. Now, Philip wasn't the only one who emphasized the importance of copper in Arizona's economy. I'm Mike Conway. I'm with the Arizona Geological Survey, and I'm a senior research scientist here, and I've I've been at the survey since uh, 2007. The AZGS's headquarters are in Tucson, so I spoke to Mike over the phone. The department does geological mapping where they map out the state's bedrock. They also compile the history of copper mines in the state. Mike said copper's many uses made it an economically important product. Copper copper is one of the earliest minerals that people have ever used, and it's been in use for about 10,000 years. It has some really remarkable properties, and it does a marvelous job of conducting both heat and electricity. The discovery of copper in Arizona allowed the state to begin to thrive. Copper mines in Arizona are mainly found in southern and eastern Arizona. The copper produced in Arizona was shipped all over the country. The metal's main function at the time was used for construction, but by the late 19th century, the age of electricity began to take off and copper found a new purpose. And that copper that was mined and harvested, that would have been uh, sent to, that would have been really shipped to a variety, a number of different locales in the United States and used in uh, the early evolution, the early development of electrical energy. The growth of the industry in Arizona drove people here from all over the world. Mike told me that people from Eastern Europe, China, and Mexico found their way to the state. The valley didn't really see much copper mining action like other parts of the state. But mining in general could be attributed to Arizona's growth. Looking at the U.S. Census Bureau from 1870 to 1880, Arizona had a 318% increase in population. Ten years earlier, Arizona's population was less than 10,000, and by 1880, it was just over 40,000. So we have people from all over the world that came to the southern Arizona to get it to engage with the copper mines and to be involved in copper mining. By the 1990s, many people had electricity in their homes, although some living in rural areas did not. 
at one point in time, only about 11% of farms, American farms, had access to electricity. During the Great Depression, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt created the New Deal. It was an economic relief and recovery program. Part of the program created a way to get more Americans electricity. The copper that came out of Arizona played a major role in the 1934 Rural Electrification Administration efforts to provide electricity to farms. FDR actually issued an executive order in 1935, and by the next year, Congress passed the Rural Electrification Act. According to the Roosevelt Institute, an estimated 9 out of 10 rural farms had electricity by 1945. Like Mike said, it continued to propel the industry forward. Since then, technological advances helped copper continue to be a stronghold in Arizona's economy. It is still a large industry in the state. So copper production here is probably in the, to the tune of $5 billion annually at this point in time and continues to grow. According to the Arizona Mining Association, Arizona produces 68% of copper in the country. That's over 800,000 metric tons of the total 1.2 million. Mike doesn't see that slowing down, with the country heading towards more green energy. The, the green energies require copper for the, the, the structures and for the, the, inter, the internal mechanics of the energy production. So solar plants will use it, geothermal plants will use it, will continue to use copper to trans, transport electricity from point A to point B. Copper is also used in our cell phones, cars, and even medical tools. Yeah, there's no question that copper is still a major influence on the Arizona economy. Copper mining is a $5 billion industry in the state. Mike also told me how there are efforts to preserve historical mining sites. There will be efforts over the next several years, next 10 to 15 years, to make certain that we preserve that heritage, to make sure that we preserve those former, those former mining communities to the extent that people understand why, what brought people here in the first place, what they did, and how mining impacted human society. Thanks for that look at Arizona's copper history, Maritza. Now we're on to cattle. I'm Katie O'Connell, bringing you that information. Cattle were introduced to Arizona more than 300 years ago by Spanish missionaries. But the height of cattle production came later, after the Civil War. Um, and then after the Civil War, because of all of the overgrazing and um, everything that happened in Texas, a lot of cattle moved this way and um, ended up being in Arizona. And then that's when the boom of the cattle industry started, was right after all of those cattle from Texas moved to Arizona. So my name's Ashley Mortimer. I am the Director of Communications at Arizona Cattle Growers. Ashley grew up on a cattle farm in northern Arizona. She said that during the 1860s, we didn't have the same knowledge about farming techniques. When Texas's land became overgrazed and unable to support a large cattle population, the wide open land of the Arizona Territory became the next viable option. There were a few technological developments at the time that helped, too. The Southern and Northern Transcontinental Railroads made it easier to transport cargo and access new grazing lands. Plus, windmill technology made it easier to pump water across vast lands. 
1872, the first permanent ranch in the Arizona Territory was established. In the 1890s, we had over 1.5 million cattle. But that boom came at a cost. Drought, coupled with unsustainable land management practices, led to a dramatic collapse in the industry. Aeroquip is a cattle supply company. According to an article on their site, by the time Arizona became a state in 1912, the cattle industry had suffered a 75% decline in stocks. We didn't know that we only could have cattle on a pasture for a certain amount of time. We didn't know what overgrazing was or what the negative impacts of having cattle in an area for too long were. And this is one of the things that I find most interesting about cattle's inclusion in the five C's. The cattle industry had plummeted from its height by the time Arizona developed the five C's in the 1920s. But the size of the remaining industry was still considerable. As a matter of fact, cattle outnumbered people in Arizona until the population boom in the 1950s. Today, there are just over 6,000 Arizona farms and ranches with cattle. According to the Arizona Beef Council, as of 2018, there are 1 million cattle and calves in the state. Ashley said that the cattle industry contributes $1.7 billion to the state's economy annually. Most of the cattle raised in Arizona are part of a cow-calf operation. Translation? That means that the ranchers and um, cowboys, cattlemen, are raising mama cows and then those moms are having babies that are then sold and um, taken to feedlots and throughout the process to end up on our kitchen tables and our dining room tables as beef. Um, so that is big of what Arizona ranchers are doing is raising those mama cows and then therefore those babies. And we're able to do that because we have a lot of public land that ranchers maintain and use as pastures. For the majority of a calf's life, um, they are out in those public, public land areas. So when you're driving down um, the freeway and you see all that open space, that's a ranch where the majority of a calf's life is spent. For Ashley and other cattle raising family, being part of the five C's is a point of pride huge way for people that don't have the chance to be involved in agriculture or involved in caring for the land or growing their own food. It's a way to connect to what our history is and kind of what's on our plate. Arizona is proud of the four C's of her economy. Citrus, cotton, cattle, copper. But her fame and name has been spread far beyond her borders by another sea, climate. Hey, I'm Taylor. 
To answer the question of why climate is one of the five C's of Arizona, I spoke to... I'm Marjorie Magnuson. I am the Media Relations Manager at the Arizona Office of Tourism. So before we talk about climate, I've got one quick clarification. Climate is not the same thing as weather. Weather describes the conditions from day to day. Climate is used to describe the conditions over a longer time span. The climate sort of stands for the sunshine, I would say. This is a chapter in the epoch of America called Arizona, the land of sunshine and blue skies. People gravitate to where they want to go on vacation where there's sunny weather. People want to live where there's sunny weather. Here are glamorous hotels with all the charm of the Old West, where you can rest and relax in the sun. We have always had sunny weather. That's the good news. We have been promoting it for a year, hundred years at least. So basically, climate's one of our five C's because it brings people here and it makes us money. And city officials aren't shy to play that up when trying to attract visitors. Marjorie's worked at the Office of Tourism for more than 30 years. So she's got some stories about how Arizona pimps its climate out to tourists. Listen to this one. So in Yuma, a long time ago, they had this promotion called Free Board Every Day the Sun Doesn't Shine. This was decades ago. And the in 2012, at the Centennial, the Yuma Visitor Center decided they found some old postcards where they saw people promoting this. And they said, hey, that's a great idea. We'll have that too. Any day the sun doesn't shine, that means entirely doesn't shine, we will give coupons for free restaurant meals to visitors. Apparently, both times Yuma ran this promotion, they didn't give out any coupons. Because the sun always shines in Yuma, and it was a very fun little promotion. And just another little look at how we can use climate in promoting our state. That is Arizona. For sheer, unexcelled beauty, visit the painted desert at dusk or dawn. This is the desert where nature has spilled her colors by the bucketful. During the early years of statehood, Marjorie said Arizona was a haven for the East Coast elites who were sick of the winter. They were sort of the OG snowbirds. And while we locals get annoyed with snowbirds who drive 10 below the speed limit on the freeway, let's be real, we should also thank them. Because they allowed Arizona to turn its climate into an industry. People came out here or sent their kids out here to go to ranches or schools and the wealthy, the rich and famous from the East Coast came and spent extended periods of time out here in the wintertime and then it just grew into more of an industry. I mean, some of the resorts were built as homes for people and then eventually they were turned into dude ranches or they were turned into inns and it just kept growing from there. Dude ranches, large and small, great resort hotels, inns, auto courts and trailer courts, a veritable industry has arisen to cater to the comforts of the sun-seekers and to those who love to ride in the great out-of-doors. Just a quick FYI, a dude ranch is basically a ranch converted into a bed and breakfast. 
you can visit duderanch.org to find a list of Arizona locations still open today. Here, fabulous dude ranches combine the easy informality of ranch life with all the comforts of fine living. But it wasn't just the appeal of some fun in the sun that attracted people to our climate. People also flocked to Arizona for health reasons. Doctors in the early 1900s thought the arid desert might cure tuberculosis. But yes, the TB um, issue was real. And, and so many people, not only is it just sunny and warm, but it's very dry. And that's what they thought would be curative. Of course, the real cure for TB came later with antibiotics and vaccines. But hey, at least we tried. Anyway, that was how Arizona viewed its climate back then. A real moneymaker. As for today, it's a bit more complicated. Enter Matt Pace, a meteorologist for the Arizona Department of Environmental Quality. Certainly, it is a point of pride, but it can also result in some challenges as well. For example, here in the valley, we are part of our climate is we do get these large inversions that set up in the morning time. Those inversions that Matt's talking about? That's when cold air near the ground is trapped by warm air above it. The warm air is essentially like a lid on the valley. And the problem with that is it traps pollution inside. But inversions aren't the only complication to our climate. There's also what's called the urban heat island effect. And in layman's terms, that's referring to how our built environment, like our city streets and buildings, raise our daily temperatures. You think of the population of Phoenix, and just looking from 1950 to 1960, uh, the city of Phoenix, it was about 17.1 square miles in 1950, the built environment. By 1960, it was up to about 187 square miles. And now, obviously, it's expanded. The entire city's basically filled in. And as you saw the increase, we noticed our daily minimum temperatures slowly starting to go up. That's because you have a lot of concrete here in the downtown area. It heats up during the day. Then overnight, all that heat radiates back out and keeps our temperatures pretty warm overnight compared to what they were back in the 1950s and the 1940s. And that's primarily, again, the built environment resulting in those temperatures slowly starting to warm up. If you're um, changing that daily minimum temperature every day, that is going to impact the climate overall. So just to reiterate, our city streets and buildings act like a sponge absorbing heat during the day and they release that heat at night. So our daily temperatures aren't cooling to what they used to. In fact, they're rising. And this temperature increase is part of our changing climate. Going forward, that'll be something to keep in mind. The more people we invite to experience our climate, the more we might be accidentally altering it. It's me, Kayla, again. That was a ton of information in one episode. Great for elementary school students, I'm sure. And a good refresher for the rest of us. It also was our first time having all four members of our podcast team together on one episode. Thanks to Maritza Dominguez, Katie O'Connell, and Taylor Seeley for delivering it. 
It's fascinating how all the five C's are undergoing kind of a similar change. They were leading industries when the state came to be, and they still are in many ways, but some have experienced great loss. It's interesting to think about how we pay tribute or take care of those industries. Anyway, I want to let you know we're taking next week off to enjoy our holiday breaks and ring in the new year. We figured you all would be busy having fun anyway. And if you're wondering what to get us for Christmas, it's more listeners. So do us a favor and show your aunt how to listen to a podcast. We'll be back on January 6th with my episode looking at what it's like to live in the Valley as an adult with autism. It will be the last episode I'm producing for Valley 101. I'm starting a new job this week as a breaking news editor for the Arizona Republic. Don't worry, I'm still in the same newsroom, just a few cubicles away, and I will still be the host of the show, so you'll hear me at the beginning and end of every episode. As always, thank you for listening to Valley 101, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. See you in January. January.